grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Again from Matthew 17. Jesus was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Thus far the text. For all of the fame and popularity Jesus enjoyed for most of his earthly ministry, and for all the crowds which gathered around him to hear him preach and to witness his miracles, there was still quite a bit of private time for Jesus and his disciples. They often ate their meals together as a small group, and there were plenty of times when Jesus pulled them aside for a quiet moment of teaching or explanation. Jesus certainly came to preach the gospel publicly, but he also knew that these disciples, these learners, had an important future task ahead of them. As his apostles, they would be sent forth to carry the gospel to the far-flung reaches of the world. They needed what we in modern lingo might term quality time with their rabbi, so that they would have a clear understanding of just what, some, what sort of Messiah he really was. They had to be taught that he wasn't just the salvation of Israel from their earthly bondage under the Roman Empire, for which many of their countrymen hoped. And he even needed to communicate to them that he wasn't just the salvation of the nation of Israel alone. Yet, apart from this quality time that all twelve of the disciples got with Jesus, there were several instances when Jesus took aside a smaller group and he told them or he showed them something quite extraordinary. Often this smaller group consisted of Peter, James, and John, as it did in our gospel lesson for today. In this instance, not only does Jesus pull them aside from the crowds and all the other disciples, he takes them completely away from everybody else. As Matthew records it, he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Imagine, all alone with Jesus, apart from the world, all by themselves, or so they think. The next thing they knew, Jesus wasn't simply a carpenter from Nazareth, or just a wise teacher, or just a healer and miracle worker. He wasn't even just the one who had calmed the storm or walked upon the water. No, there, there on the mountain right in front of them, Jesus was transfigured in a way which demonstrated without a shred of doubt that within him was the glory and the power of God Almighty. The word which is translated in this account into our English phrase, he was transfigured, is the single Greek word metamorphothē. From this we get our word metamorphosis. Not just a slight alteration, but an overarching fundamental change. 
This is one of those instances where the exact wording of the sentence is very, very important to us in a theological sense. The word form here is that of a passive verb. I know that many of the young people here who have been studying both English and Spanish in our school know exactly what a passive verb form means. It means that the object of the action is being acted upon by an outside agent. The fact that Jesus was transfigured means that the changing of his appearance originated from outside of him. It was not generated by him alone. Rather, the full glory and the power of God are shown in Jesus by his heavenly Father. For that brief, shining moment, the disciples behold Jesus for who he truly is, the Son of Righteousness, the eternal Son of the one true God. Clearly then, the disciples are not all alone with Jesus. No, this dazzling display shows that the fullness of God has appeared on the mountain. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the co-eternal Trinity. And if that isn't enough to seal the deal in the disciples' minds and to convince them that they aren't all alone with Jesus, here also appear Moses and Elijah, the two greatest prophets of old. And whether it dawned on the disciples at that moment or not, it certainly couldn't have escaped them later when they had a chance to think about it. Here were all of the elements that so often come together when God is about to make an important announcement to his people. Prophets, a mountaintop, and the glory of God. Moses, you'll recall, was alone on the mountain when the Lord called him to lead his people out of the bondage of Egypt and into a beautiful and bountiful land. Many years later, as Moses spoke to the Lord face to face on the mountain and received God's law, he himself was covered with the glory of the Lord. Climbing back down the mountain and returning to the camp of the Israelites, he had to hide his face with a veil so that he wouldn't dazzle the people by that glory. On that mountain, God had revealed His will. On that mountain, God has given His promises. Elijah, too, had his mountain moments. It was on Mount Carmel that he stood alone, the sole surviving prophet of Yahweh, challenging the priests of Baal to a contest. By it, Elijah trusted his Lord to prove which of the gods was a false god and which was the one true God. On that mountain, the Lord's glory and power came down swiftly and stunningly like a bolt of lightning. In an instant, consuming fire took that sacrifice which Elijah had prepared and which he'd even soaked fully with water until it filled the trench around the altar. God took it all, meat and wood and even the altar itself. There was no doubt. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God, the people shouted. Later, you may remember, Elijah hid and fretted in a mountain cave, fearful for his life. He was certain that he was not only physically alone, but he was also the sole surviving individual still faithful to God Almighty. But the Lord came to Elijah there again. Once more, He showed Elijah His power. Not in the whirlwind, or the earthquake, or the fire which preceded him, but in a small, quiet voice, in gentleness 
he came to the prophet. He assured Elijah of his love for him. He told Elijah of his will. And he once again revealed to Elijah his promises. Now, once again on a mountain, surrounded in clouds, the voice of God comes through to reveal his promises, his love, and his will. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. With those few words, the Father confirms everything that we need to know to trust in and to follow Jesus Christ. In the very presence of the one that Peter and James and John had previously known to be the greatest prophets of Israel, the Father establishes Jesus as superior to Moses, greater than Elijah and all the rest. The voice of God speaks, revealing Jesus to be the one whom the disciples and the whole world should listen. He is my son, God is saying. He is the one who comes in my name, who represents me and all that I am. He has my approval and my favor. When he speaks, it is as if I am speaking to you directly. Then, as quickly as it had begun, this amazing episode comes to an end. The disciples look around, but once again it seems they are alone on the mountain, alone with Jesus. Yet something has fundamentally changed. It has entirely transformed. It has metamorphosized. Now, the disciples can be sure that they never can be and that they never have been alone with Jesus. They have always been in the presence of God Himself in all His power and glory and holiness. For wherever the Son goes, there also go the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, inseparable, indivisible. Each unique in person, certainly, and each having his own function within the Trinity, but without a doubt, unified in will and in purpose and in love. Perhaps you, like Moses and Elijah, feel sometimes that you have been abandoned by God. You wonder if you are all alone and if you can survive the day as the ruler of this world seeks your life. And be assured, the evil one most certainly does seek you. As St. Peter writes, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He'd like nothing better than to pounce on your soft flesh, you lamb of the shepherd. And it will happen if you stray too far from his flock and the protection that he offers to you here. On the other hand, maybe some of you feel more like Peter and James and John did as that day began. Happy to be all alone with Jesus, your friendly and benevolent healer, miracle worker, teacher, and friend. The one that you count on when you're afraid of the storms that rage all around you. The one who comes walking to you across the troubled waters and who reaches down to pluck you out just when you think you're about to go under for the last time. In either case, however, whether you feel all alone and abandoned by God or if you feel yourself to be all alone with Jesus, you're only seeing a piece of the entire puzzle, a small portion of the whole picture. You're standing there perhaps like Peter, confused and afraid, not really knowing what it is you're saying. For it isn't in being alone with Jesus 
that our faith is sustained and strengthened. Nor is it in isolation on some spiritual mountaintop that God has promised to give you His saving gifts. It's here, in the Christian community, in the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ, that He gives you His cleansing, that He speaks to you His forgiveness, and He feeds you with His very body and blood. Moses and Elijah got confused and afraid occasionally too, sometimes in thinking that they had been forgotten by God, and in other times in fearing His glory and His power. The disciples, they became fearful and confused too, both that day on the mountain and at many other times during Jesus' ministry. They knew that they were with Jesus, but they sometimes forgot that they were with God. They all doubted. They all questioned. They all feared. They knew that there was something about Jesus that gave them comfort when He was around. It's just that they sometimes didn't quite get rightly what it was. And sometimes we get it wrong too. We get so used to being on our own and taking credit for the good things that happen to us that we push God aside and we don't allow our hearts to hear His voice when we should. Or we want to keep ourselves close to Jesus, but in a way of understanding Him that doesn't really take on the full, true nature of who He is. Our weaknesses in those areas can lead us astray. Dear Christian friends, if you remember anything at all from the Epiphany season this year, let it be this. God has come to you and to all people in the person of Jesus Christ. The fullness of God took on human flesh, and His Epiphany has shown us that the power and the glory of God dwell in Jesus of Nazareth. That power and glory was and is shown in His teaching, in His healing, and in His miracles. But even more, it is shown in His suffering, His death, and His resurrection. You are not alone. You are never without God. You are not even all alone with Jesus. God dwells in and with and as Jesus. Through His holy baptism and His faithful Word and His precious body and blood, God also dwells with you and in you. We are never alone with Jesus, for Jesus is never alone. The Father and the Holy Spirit are one with the Son, even as we are one with the Son. Jesus sometimes went off to lonely places, it's true, apart from people, that is. He faced temptation in the wilderness alone, but with the Father and the Spirit supporting Him, He used the Word of God to deflect Satan's power. He faced anguish in the garden alone, too, but the Spirit led Him in prayer to seek the Father's will, and His prayer was answered. And of course, He faced the wrath of the Father on the cross alone to take the punishment that your sins and my sins heaped upon Him in His suffering. But even there, when He cried out in desperation, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even when He felt the most abandoned of all, He was not. For when all had been completed, He was still able to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The Father and the Spirit remained with Him and in Him, even in the worst of circumstances. 
Adopted as God's children, we can never be alone and apart from God either. He has promised through Christ that he will be with his church always to the very end of the age. And we can never be alone with just Jesus either, as the disciples sometimes thought that they were. For as much as we might like to remain on that mountaintop in the presence of God and in the company of Christ, he has other plans for us. He places us in this world so that we might be witnesses to his gospel and to serve one another, especially those who need what God alone can offer and what we are called to tell them. There are those that we come across in our daily lives who do feel abandoned by God, people who are confused and afraid, despairing people who don't feel and can't even feel alone with Jesus because they don't yet know the love of Jesus, the love of God, which has been theirs to know and to have and to experience since before the world began, has not yet been told to them. As we observe today the transfiguration of our Lord, let us certainly bask in the glow of Christ's glory and power. For God intends that, and he intends so much more for all of us. But yet let us also remember that there are those who have not yet been led up the mountain. There are many whose robes have not yet been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. There are billions who have not yet heard or listened to the words of the beloved Son. Jesus told Peter and James and John that day not to tell anyone what they had seen and heard about him until he had risen from the dead. But we are no longer under, under any such restriction not to tell anyone what it is we know about Jesus. He has died, he is risen, and he reigns eternally for you and for them. We can tell them with the confidence of faith that they are never alone without Jesus, and they are never with Jesus alone. In his holy name, amen.